0: There's an old story about two boys who were told by their parents that the parents had a very special gift for them. The two boys were blindfolded and put in the car with their parents and taken on a long drive out to the country. And when they arrived at the location, they were taken into a stable and led right up to one of the stalls. When the blindfold was taken off each one of the boys, they had very different reactions to what they saw. What they saw was a stable that was full of hay, and in that hay was some horse manure. One of the boys saw this and immediately sat down and cried. He couldn't believe his parents would play such a dirty trick on him and give him the gift of having to clean out the stable. The other boy, though, got really excited. And he started running around and whooping and hollering excitedly and looking around. And when someone asked this boy, when the parents asked him, what are you so excited about? He said, Well, I saw the horse poo there, and I knew that there must be a pony for us somewhere. And so I'm excited about seeing the new pony, and I'm looking around to see where it might be hiding. And the point of this story is to illustrate an important truth. And that is that two people can look at the same event, they can be given the same information. And yet have very different reactions to it. Some people are given information that looks negative and they respond to it negatively. It becomes a source of sorrow and sadness for them. Or it becomes a source of anger for them. Or it becomes a source of fear for them. And other people are given the same information. And they get excited. It creates Even in a negative situation, a sense of happiness or at least a sense of optimism, a sense of joy. And the difference between these two, the difference between the two boys and the difference between people like us, when we encounter information or circumstances that look negative, the difference is how we interpret the circumstances we find ourselves in. Some people look at a situation like the one in this story and they see only the negative. And the story they tell themselves about that negative thing produces negative emotions in their hearts and their minds. Other people can look at the same negative circumstance and yet they choose a different response. The boy who was excited chose a different response because he had faith in his parents. He had a track record of knowing that they don't pull weird pranks like this on their kids, but rather that they have a track record of doing kind and loving things for their kids. And so while he didn't necessarily understand the circumstances in and of themselves, he had faith in the parents and what they had told him. And figured that somehow, some way, there must be something good and positive in this situation. We tell ourselves a story about the circumstances that we face in life. And often the story we tell ourselves is actually the thing that produces the emotional reaction. When we tell ourselves a sad story, a negative story, we feel sadness. We feel negativity. We feel anger. If we tell ourselves a good story, a positive story, one that's based on faith, then we can choose a very different kind of reaction. And as we come here again to the book of James, chapter 1, we began this paragraph of Scripture last Sunday, And we saw that God has a command for us right out of the box after just introducing himself in his letter and sending greetings in verse 1. James, the author of this book, begins with a hard command for us. And that command, you may remember from last Sunday's message, is this, that God commands us to choose joy in suffering. God commands us to choose joy suffering. In suffering, Remember James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And then he begins the body of the letter by saying this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, we looked at this passage in detail last Sunday, but just to review, because we need to understand what is being said in order to understand what we're going to learn this morning. This is a command from God. Consider it pure joy. It's a command, like all commands, that, direct, that is directed at human will. God says, choose in your will to think a certain way. And what you are to think is that you are to consider it Joy, not necessarily automatically feel joy, but rather you are to tell yourself a story, not a fictional story, a true story. A story that something good is going to happen in the negative circumstances that you find in life. James talks here in verse 2 about trials of many kinds. And that, as we saw, refers to any kind of negative circumstance that we find ourselves in, in life. The command is to choose joy. And the command is very straightforward. It's easy to understand. And it's a command directed at the will, causing us, calling us to choose joy in the hard times we face in life. But here's the problem. Nobody likes to suffer. And that's what trials bring. They bring suffering into our lives. Sometimes it's physical suffering. Sometimes it's emotional suffering. Sometimes it's spiritual suffering. Sometimes it's all of the above. Trials, problems in life bring us suffering, and nobody likes pain and suffering. And So God's command here to have an intentional act of faith, to choose joy in the midst of suffering, hits us hard. It's difficult to accept. So then why should we accept it? Why should we accept God's command in this passage? To choose joy even when we are suffering in this life. That's what today's message is going to answer. As we look forward in this passage and we go to James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God begins to fill in the answer for us as to why we should choose joy as an intentional act of faith whenever we face any kind of suffering in life. All of that is answered in today's message. And so let's look again at our verses for today. which are verses 3 and 4. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the focus of this message says this, because, this answers the question, why should you consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds? James says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking Anything. These verses answer the question that automatically arises when we hear God's command to choose joy in our suffering. And just as a stated principle, before we begin to unpack what the principle is, let me just tell you, let me show you why we should choose joy when we're suffering. And the answer is, we should choose joy when we are suffering because of the results God promises through suffering, We should choose joy and suffering, not because suffering itself is pleasurable. It isn't. It's terrible. Rather, the Bible commands us to choose joy when we are suffering any kind of trial. Because we have faith in God and we know that God is going to do something. He's going to deliver some results into our life through the suffering that we face. That's what we're going to discover together. Here in James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You should choose joy because of the results that God promises through suffering. And The first thing we see in this passage, in verse 3, is this. That God uses suffering to produce a persevering faith in you. I said we should choose joy and suffering because of the result that God is going to produce in our lives through suffering? What is that result? Well, one of them, one part of that result is that God is going to produce a persevering faith in you. Verse 1 begins with this word, because. And that word, because, begins to tell us the reason why we should rejoice. It tells us the reason for the command to choose joy in the Problems and trials in life. And following that word, because, comes the kernel of this verse, which is because you know. James is going to say, it should be what you know that produces the unusual result of joy in the trials of life. That as a Christian, you have learned some things about God, and you have learned some things about God's ways in this world. And just like the boy who trusted that his parents had something good for him when he saw the pile of horse poo. So you and I, when we encounter the problems in life, need to fall back on what we know to be true about God and what we know to be true about his ways as they've been revealed to us. In scripture, The reason that you and I can choose joy when we suffer is because we know some things as a result of our discipleship, as a result of following Jesus Christ. And what is it that we know? Well, the rest of this verse begins to fill that in. It tells us the content of what we know. And that is this. What you know is that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Suffering is painful, and the only way to make yourself feel good about it is if you know that God is doing something with it. And James begins to clarify what is going on in the trials that we face in life with this word testing, this phrase actually, testing of your faith. Now, the word trial was used in verse 2. And in verse 3, James chooses a different word for this word testing. This is a different word in the original Greek. It's referring to the same problem, the same issue of the testing of faith. But James now begins to fill in the meaning of trials with this phrase, the testing of your faith. And it begins to tell us what exactly God is doing in us when we suffer problems in this life. And that is all modified, that's all filled in by the phrase, of your faith. Everyone, as we talked about last time, whether they are saved or unsaved, Christian or non-Christian, everyone faces problems in life. We all encounter trials of many kinds. But in a Christian's life, God's word tells us we know that God is going to use those trials in a different way, in a special way, in an important way in our lives. And so the phrase, of your faith, added to this phrase, testing, this word testing, the phrase, testing of your faith, tells us that God is doing something particular in our lives when we suffer trials, When you have problems in life, God is not testing your intelligence. God is not testing your physical tolerance or strength. God is not testing your pain threshold to see how much you can take. No, what God is testing, according to this verse, is your faith. And that's really, really important for us to understand what God is doing and why we should choose joy in the trials of life. God is testing your faith. Specifically, He is working on what you believe about Him. Do you actually believe that God is all knowing and knows what He's doing in your situation? Do you believe that God is all wise and while you can't see what He's doing, that God has a purpose in it? Do you believe that God is faithful? And that he will sustain you through the trials? Do you believe that God is good? And that he ultimately has a good result mapped out for you in the trials of life? Do you believe that God is love? And that the pain brought into your life is not the infliction of punishment by someone who hates you. But it's actually rather an act of love by a father who has an intention for your life. James says you you and I can rejoice in trials because we know that our faith is being tested. And when we know that it's our faith being tested, not our intelligence, not our pain threshold, not anything else, that helps us to interpret what is going on when we face trials in life. God is testing our faith in him when we encounter the difficulties, hardships, and trials that come from living this life. But notice this word again, testing. I told you that this is a different word than trials in the original Greek language, and it's actually a rare word in the Greek New Testament, but it's a word that packs a lot of punch. It has a lot of content in it. The word that's translated testing here is a kind of testing that anticipates approval, it's not a testing to see because you don't know what's going to happen. It's the kind of a testing that anticipates approval, that expects that there's going to be a good result from the test after it's completed. And this same word testing is used in other parts of Scripture to describe a certain process that happens to metals, gold and silver, particularly. When gold and silver are tested in this way, what happens to them is that they are put into a furnace, and they are heated up. And in the process of heating that gold and that silver, the impurities in those metals is burned off, making the gold and silver purer and actually stronger than it was as simply a raw material. This word testing is used to describe this process as it is applied to precious metals. And when James says, knowing, or you can be joyful because you know that the testing of your faith produces something, what he is saying is, as you and I encounter the problems of life, God is refining our faith in the process. He is burning out of us all of the self-reliance and all of the unbelief and all of the false ideas that we pick up along the way and sometimes merge with our faith because of false doctrine or just our own understanding. God, in the process of putting us through trials, is burning out of our faith those impurities, and strengthening our faith in the process. And so as you think about whatever trial you're facing in this life or whatever trial you've just emerged from, or as you think about whatever trial may face you beginning this week or sometime in the future, the question to ask is, what exactly is God doing in my faith? What is he working on in my faith? What is his purpose in all of this? When you encounter problems in this life, problems of any kind, God is using them to purify your faith in him. And what does this purification look like? Well, verse 3 tells us more about that. When it says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, it produces perseverance. And the phrase produces perseverance tells us the outcome of trials. In life, And that outcome is a stronger faith. The word perseverance is a word that means to bear up under, it, and it has a couple of ideas in it. One of the most literal ideas for this verse is someone who's had a load put on their back. Imagine um, someone in the military who's, who's uh, given a heavy rucksack to carry. And then told to do some kind of a long march or even a run with that rucksack on his or her back. Well, when you first enter the military, you're not as strong as you will be at the end. Your ability to bear up under that load is less. Because you haven't developed the army or whoever, the military hasn't cultivated in you the strength that they want you to have. It's going to be through repeated exercises testing the strength that you have, but also making you stronger in the process that's going to get you ready to bear up under that load and not quit the march or quit the military when that load gets heavy. And when the Bible says here that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, what it is telling us is that when God tests our faith in him, He is strengthening us to the point that we won't quit despite the problems that we face in life, despite the challenges to faith that we face in life. Every trial you face is making you stronger and less likely to quit the Christian life. We talked about how the word testing has that quality of metallurgy, and I don't, know anything about metallurgy other than what I've read on the internet. However, it seems clear, and I've read this multiple places, that when metal is refined in a fire, the result, what's called tempered metal or tempered steel, if we're talking about steel, tempered metal is stronger than the raw material that it came from. And it's a perfect illustration of what God is doing to us in trials, You can rejoice in the trials in your life. You can choose joy in the trials of your life, not because suffering is fun. It isn't. But rather, because you know something. As you are suffering, you know that God is working on your faith. He's purifying it. And in the process of purifying it, he's making it even stronger. That's the point and the purpose of the trials that we face in life. But let's think about this word perseverance for just a moment longer before we move on to verse 4. Because the truth is that perseverance is actually a core doctrine of our faith. We believe that a person becomes a Christian by putting faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not from your own good works or your ability to impress God with anything. But rather, you become a Christian when you stop trying to earn favor with God and instead receive as a gift eternal life because Jesus suffered and died for your sins. That's how a person becomes a Christian. But the Bible says there are many people who profess to be Christians, but not every professor of Christianity is actually a possessor of Christianity. The Bible says there are many people who profess faith in Christ, and for many years even, they may look like genuine believers in Christ. But some of them will fall away from following Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those who fall away don't have a real faith in Christ. What reveals whether someone has a real faith in Christ or not is whether or not they persevere whether or not they bear up under the trials of life. And the point of perseverance is this. The doctrine of perseverance teaches that someone with genuine faith in Christ will continue to follow Christ throughout the entirety of their lives. There may be setbacks, there may be disobedience, yes. But a true believer will never ultimately renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. And a true believer will continue in faith and good works from the time of their salvation to the end of their life. And the reason why God brings trials into our lives is in part to show the imposters. But that's not what James is talking about here. That's talked about in other passages, not here. Trials reveal those who don't have a true faith, a persevering faith. But also, God brings trials into our life, as I've said, to refine our faith, to strengthen our faith. And so we can choose joy as Christians when we encounter trials, Because we know that God is testing our faith, revealing the genuineness of our faith, and strengthening it in the process. But that's not the end. Remember, I've said that we should choose joy in trial because of the results God promises through suffering. One of those results is perseverance, a persevering faith. God is building a persevering faith in you when you encounter trials. But that's not the only result that God is after. Because verse 4 goes on to tell us more. And it tells us that persevering faith results in complete Christians. Persevering faith results in complete Christians. Do you see the chain? Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces maturity. That's what's going on in the passage. Look with me now at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not Lacking anything. This verse tells us that perseverance and persevering faith produces complete Christians. And it begins with this phrase, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. You see, quitting on God and walking away from the Christian faith is the danger, it's the temptation for everyone who's facing a trial in life. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, my guess is you've encountered this. That something in your life has unsettled you to the point where you've wondered, is it really true? Or if it's really true, maybe you never question that, but maybe you question if it's really true for you. The temptation for everyone encountering trials is to quit, to quit the Christian life, to stop trusting God, to walk away from the profession of faith that each of us made when we became a Christian. And when you quit trusting God because of the trials in your life, the process of God refining your faith stops. The growth that God wants to bring into your life through the trials, is ended. You're not getting stronger. I've already wandered into metallurgy, something I know nothing about. Let me add to that and talk about baking, something else I know nothing about. But if you're baking a cake, you put all kinds of work into it, right? You get all the ingredients that you need before you get started, And you follow that recipe, and you add the ingredients in the right amount at the right time, and you mix them all together, and you pour them into that cake pan, and you preheat the oven like you're supposed to, and you put that cake in the oven, and it's hot in there. And so the cake begins screaming, Let me out! It's hot in here! No, that shouldn't happen. I hope hope it doesn't happen. But imagine if cakes had feelings, and if cakes had the ability to think and to talk. That's what they'd be telling us, right? Right? They'd be saying, This is too hot. It's uncomfortable. You're going to burn me. I don't want this kind of pain. And if you acquiesce to the pleas of your cake and take it out before it's done, what happens? What happens is you got an inedible product, you got something that's good for nothing, you have something that didn't get completed. Uncompleted projects are worthless. Uncompleted projects are things that we feel embarrassed about, the things that we feel um, some, some regret about doing, about quitting often before they were finished. And the temptation for us as Christians when we encounter the trials of this life is to plead with God take this trial away from me. Or worse, We face at least the temptation to say it's not worth it to follow Christ. The pain of this is not something I signed up for. I'm going to walk away from my faith in Christ. When James says in verse 4, let perseverance finish, what he is saying is that as God puts you in the furnace to refine you like metals or to finish you like cake, the temptation is going for you to be to, to short-circuit the process of being finished, to quit before you're done. And that's going to leave you unfinished as a Christian. And so this is actually a command in the original language. It's a command that's given in the third person, so it's a little bit less direct and less strong, but it's still a command nonetheless. It's telling us that as Christians in trials... What God's command for us to do is not to quit. Let perseverance finish. Let God continue to do the work that he's doing in your life when you encounter trials. And what's the result of this? What's the result of a faith that is finished or perseverance that is finished? The answer is when perseverance finishes its work, there's a result. The phrase so that almost always indicates result in the Bible. And here's the result. So that you may be mature and complete. These are two different words, but they're really describing the same thing. Not lacking anything. This is the negative way of describing it. So James is using three different ways, two different positive words and one negative phrase to describe what happens when God is finished with us in trials. Not just any one trial, but the succeeding trials that we face in life. What James is telling us is that we reach maturity as Christians. That we've reached the end. The actual word that's translated here, mature, is the word that means goal or end in the New Testament. And I think it's helpful, again, to think of a, another figure of speech, another metaphor. A lot of times when we use the word maturity, we use it referring to people. A mature person is someone who has reached a certain level in their life, where they can handle their business on their own. And as parents, that's what we're doing. We're not raising children. We're raising adults. The question is, when are we done? When you've raised your children to the point of maturity, what are they able to do? They're able to do everything that an adult can do for himself. Your children can provide for their own living. They can, they can get a job. They can acquire money, and they can use money wisely. They can find a spouse and start a family. And they can handle the problems that come with being an adult. When your children are old enough, when they're done, when they're mature, it doesn't mean that they know everything they'll ever know. And it doesn't mean that they've encountered everything that they are going to encounter. It doesn't mean that growth has ended. But it does mean that they've reached a place where they can handle that without parental involvement. That's the point. A person has reached maturity When that person can live on their own without a parent tying their shoes or paying their bills or going in to argue with the teacher when they get a grade that they don't like or whatever. A child that's complete can live on his or her own and provide for themselves and do everything that a mature adult can do. That's what James is saying here. When perseverance works on you and when you don't short-circuit the process, you're going to reach adulthood as a Christian. You're going to reach a place of maturity in the Christian life. He also uses the next word, which is complete. And this is, again, emphasizing the same idea, but just giving us a little bit different nuance. Complete in the New Testament means wholeness. It's often contrasted with being ill. It's like the difference between health and illness. And James says, you should rejoice in your trials because God is working on you. And when God is done, when he has finished the process of trying you and refining your faith, you're going to be mature and you're going to be healthy. And then he adds the phrase, not lacking anything. You will have all the tools that a godly man or woman needs to live a life to the glory of God. And that's the process that should excite us when we face trials. We don't get excited by the facing of when we face trials because trials are fun. They are not, they are painful. But why we should choose joy in the moments of trials is because we know something about God. We know that God does not bring aimless, senseless pain into the lives of his children, but rather like a good parent does. God lets us get into our own situations and trust him and work out what we've learned so that we can stand on our own feet and so that we can reflect his glory as mature adult Christians the way God wants us to be. And so the reason why we should choose joy is because, not because of the pain of the trials, of course not. It's because of the result that God promises. And the result that he promises is a persevering faith that will continue for the rest of your life in faith and good works. And that persevering faith is going to develop a mature Christian life in you. It's going to make you into a complete Christian. And so because the temptation for us in the Christian life is to quit on God, we need to understand that persevering doesn't happen by accident. Rather, perseverance is an intentional act of faith. Remember in verse 4, it's a command, let perseverance finish. The temptation you're going to face as a Christian is to short-circuit the process, to try to get out of the oven before the cake is done. But if you believe God, if you know what his word teaches, if you believe that he has a plan, that he's making you something out of you that's going to be stronger and purer and more like Jesus Christ, Then you can say, well, I'm not happy about the pain this trial brings. I'm trusting God that he's doing something in my life, and that causes me to rejoice. This is what God is telling us when he says, choose joy in the midst of trials, because joy, or I should say trials, produce perseverance, and perseverance makes us mature. So when we talk about The big idea for today, it's this. Perseverance is an intentional act of faith. I don't know what trial you're facing in this life, and I don't know what's coming for you in the days ahead. But I know this. If your faith in Christ is real, God's going to use that trial to work on your life. And so for you not to short-circuit it, for you not to quit, means you're going to have to believe God. You're going to have to use your faith And keep it in God and persevere because perseverance is an intentional act of faith.